0: handed down from generation to generation of Christians, where it's a special time of uh, immense devotion and really uh, contemplation as we kind of prepare ourselves to once again... come to the cross, come to Good Friday, come to Easter Sunday as well. And so we as a church body travel together over these five weeks leading up to that experience once again where we come and know the power of the resurrection. And so that's why we set aside this time as a church body. We call it Lent. Uh, And it's really a powerful example of how a community can come together as a faith practice and engage in conversations and share what God is doing in our lives and really begin to learn and understand a new facet of who God is and even in a deeper, more profound way. And so that's what we're trying to do. And in the topic, the subject matter, that which we're going to be examining over these five weeks is, uh, well, in a word, mercy. We are going to be examining and seeking to understand and know what is God's mercy and, and how do I participate, how is that mercy made real in and through me and my life as well. And so that's the trajectory over the next couple weeks that we're going to be diving into together. I hope you're in an Easter group. There's still time. If you're not in an Easter group, want to join an Easter group, you can still do that today and hop into an Easter group. It's a small group of people who are going to be traveling together over these weeks where you'll unpack deeper together uh, more about mercy. So you can find out more in the atrium about that uh, later on. But Let's let's kind of get going and diving in. And I want to begin this morning by asking you a very simple question. Hopefully it's not a terribly complicated one. Uh, how many of you wear glasses or contacts? Nice. All right. Fair number. I got contacts. You all get... It's all, it's all funny because during the week I wear glasses and then you all come and see me on Sunday and you're like, what? what? Where are your glasses? I have contacts in. It makes the microphone easier. That's why. But... A lot of us wear glasses and contacts. And and simply put, glasses and contacts are important uh, for those of us who who wear them. True enough? Like, if I didn't have my contacts in, y'all would just disappear. I I could not see you. My glasses, my contacts allow me to better understand the world that I live in. These lenses that, that, that lay over my eyes help me interpret and therefore interact with The world around me, and without those lenses, I'm at a significant disadvantage. And the the importance of them can't be understated enough for those of you who have them. Um, If you don't have glasses or lenses, your miracle of mercy has already taken place because the rest of us, if if I drop something, you know, you can't find it. It's significant. So the point is this: in the same way that I have glasses or contact lenses. Whether or not you actually physically wear lenses, everybody has a lens through which you understand and see the world. In a very metaphorical sense, all of us have a lens that lays over our lives. Through that, that as we walk through life and interact with people, we look through the lens of our life experiences up until this point in our lives. And it really shapes how we understand reality. It really shapes the way that we interact with people. The lens of our life is impacted and shaped by our life experiences up until this point. And so as you live your life, as you go throughout your days, you in fact do carry with you a very important lens that you look through. And it's largely shaped by your life experiences. Good so far? Fair to say so far? Now when you turn your gaze and look through your lens of life experience when you do that in relation to God you also see and interpret God in light of that lens you understand who God is, you would describe God according to the lens through which you look and see him through. This is why, for many of us, we have so many different ways of describing and knowing who God is. Let me put it this way. If I were to ask you the next question of, you know, what are words that you would use to describe God... You would look through the lens of your life so far and you would say God is love. Love's good. What are others? Come on. None of you have looked at God yet. Okay, we got to go back to the basics, people, if that's where we're at. that's what, We can change that. We can do that. Just give me some words. What are experiences or expressions? What are words that you would use based on your life so far to, to describe God? Just shout them out and be loud. It's hard to hear up here. Hope. Awesome. Present forgiving powerful Power. kind, kind. kind mysterious ooh i like that one mysterious yeah right see and these are all great and these are all church words These are all church words. These are the kind of words that I want to hear and I would hope to hear within the context of a people gathered together to seek to know and understand who God is. These are are words that we as a church community and as a faith community hold very dear when we describe God. We're describing Him based on our life experiences up to this point. And so for many of us, we have known God to be loving, to be forgiving, to be hope incarnate for our lives, to be restorative, to be mysterious and, and yet supernatural and awesome and powerful right and the words can just keep going and those words come to us the reason that you are able to give those words this morning is because you are actually answering a question underneath and that question is what has God done for you in your life up until this point how has God been active or part of your life experience leading up to here and now Because what God has done in your life experience helps inform the lens that you carry with you, that you see and know and understand him through. Now, the sad reality is there are many descriptors out there for God even beyond the ones that we would name in the church. What are other words that you have heard describing God out in the world, in your workplace, in friendships, and in casual conversation? What are other words that you have heard describing God? Ready, go. Judging. Judging. Good one. Ooh, what was Non-resistant? Or? Non-existent, yeah. I heard another one over here. Vengeful. Oh, yeah. Big time, right? Yep. Angry. Big time. Uh, uncaring. Unfair. I like that one. Disengaged. Yeah, right? Like he created the world and like sent it spinning off. That's actually a whole religion. There's a religion around that. Yeah, we have these other words that actually exist out in our world that are descriptors of who other people seem to, seem to think when they look through their lens of life experience so far. That's how they describe God. Never underestimate the power of a person's life experience, specifically in relation to how they know and understand who God is. I'll give you a personal example out of my own history and my own story. Uh, My grandpa passed away earlier this year, and uh, one of the conversations that I remember so vividly with my grandfather was trying to sit down and explain to him. He was... was, um, There was a lot of confusion in his life um, and specifically in relation to who God was. And I remember having a conversation with him over and over again, uh, many times, about who I knew and I understood God to be because the descriptors that he would choose, uh, one that he continued to come back to was uncaring, uh, unloving, uncaring. He would look at the news. He would look at uh, 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 examples out in the community. And he would look at his own life. Uh, He grew up in a very... uh, What's the opposite? Cold, non-warm. His parents were not particularly warm people. They They didn't express love very well. And so he grew up within a context and a life experience that really his lens was shaped the way that he looked at everything and everybody was through a very cold, very uncaring type of lens because of his life experience up to that point. And so when that lens, when he looked at God and and he looked at the possibility of God existing, he simply saw an uncaring and unloving God as well. Never, Never depreciate the significance of a person's life story because of the way that it shapes their lens and the way that they understand who God is. And so... This then, the reality of like my grandfather, the reality of those other words we just mentioned, when you throw that into the mix with all the church words we said before, it can get very confusing. It can get very confusing for people when we have conversations with others. Well, I've seen God to be judgmental, or I've seen Christians talk about God in this way, or I've, I've seen or experienced life like this, so how could God be that? How could God be this? How could God be that? And so there's all these different ways of describing God, and, and frankly, it's confusing when you put them all together. When you put together all the different life experiences and stories of this world, it gets very confusing very fast even to the point where some Christians will sit down, they'll look at the Bible, and they'll be confused by the Bible and talk about how God in the, in the Old Testament or the first part of the Bible is confusing as they understand him and related to the latter part of the Bible. They'll say things like, well, you know, the God of the Old Testament, oh, I cringe when I hear that, the God of the Old Testament was vengeful and mean and, and, and judging and, ooh, right? He's like angry God all the time. You guys ever heard that before? You heard Christians say that before? We do that. We, we say things like that. And it, has, it just adds to the confusion, and it's largely birthed out of the fact that there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of confusion around how to describe God. Now, God knows us well enough and knows our issues deep enough to try and address this problem to clear up the confusion and to be consistent in, in how people know and understand him, God decided to show up in a very tangible, physical, real way. It can be hard to describe this invisible, supernatural, mysterious God, It is easier for us, and frankly, it is what we need as people because we do depend upon our sight, we do depend upon our senses to understand and interpret the world. It is more fruitful for God to communicate clearly by coming as a person, as a Jewish man, years and years ago, with dust and sweat and calluses. And so God shows up in a definitive and concrete way and says, here I am. When you want to know me, when you want to see and understand me, when you want to get a word around who I am, this, this is who I am. When you look at this person, you are looking at me as God. If you want to know who God is, you look at this person. And, of course, I am talking about Jesus, absolutely. And Jesus is, according to the Scriptures and according to our tradition and faith, Christ is the perfect understanding and incarnation. That's a big fancy way of God-made flesh, God con carne. It is God-made flesh here so that we can understand exactly who God is and not get lost in the confusion. The Bible talks about this in a bunch of different places. Here are two quick examples for you. The first one comes out of Colossians. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. Or Hebrews. The sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. You see, because there's all this confusion, God wanted to clear it up, and so he had his very character, the fullness of God, the very expression and essence of who God was and is and is yet to come. God came as a person in Jesus Christ to clear up the confusion. This is why we as Christians cherish so much so the stories about the person of Jesus Christ. It's because it helps us understand now and inform our lens of who God really is. If you want to know and describe Him, you need to know and describe Jesus. And what's amazing is when you begin to look and see and read and hear the stories about Jesus, about what he did in people's lives, about what Jesus did as he walked and breathed and, and, and he ate with disciples and as he spent time with people. But even then, there's still a lot of descriptors for Jesus. Because Jesus' love and the way that he manifested God's activity in the world, it happens and accomplishes many things in people's lives. It's not like Jesus showed up and did one thing. Jesus did a bunch of stuff. Let me give you some examples. You hear a guy named Peter? What did did Jesus, what did God do for Peter? how, How did God get... Active and involved and loving in Peter's life. Well, if you were to ask Peter, my bet would be on he'd say, Jesus forgave me. Jesus forgave me even though I betrayed him. I I, I said I didn't know him three times. I was out there weeping on the street. I betrayed him. And he forgave me. Jesus forgives people. One of the most profound actions of love that Christ conveys is forgiving people, like Peter, like me, like you. Or maybe you're like Thomas. There's this guy in the Bible called Thomas. Unfortunately, he gets a bad rap. Uh, Sometimes he gets called doubting Thomas. You ever hear that before? What would Thomas say about Christ? Jesus was patient with me. I was I was I was nervous, I was confused, I didn't understand how this could all happen. I was anxious and and frankly it just seemed impossible. And yet he brought me along. He, 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 he kept coming and loving and sharing and giving. He was patient with me. And even, even when others had said he was there and alive and back, I was like, mm, I'm not so sure. <laughs> i got to see this for myself. And yet Jesus was so patient with me that he actually shows up and does it. He says, Thomas, put your hands here in the holes in my own hands. He was patient with me. And he brought me along patient with me maybe you're like Matthew Matthew was another one of the disciples we have lots of stories about Matthew maybe your story is like Matthew Matthew nobody liked nobody liked Matthew tax collector we still don't often like tax collectors right we get nervous I mean Matthew comes knocking on your door it's like don't answer honey it's Matthew run right I mean that's Matthew's life That's what Matthew is used to. That's what Matthew is accustomed to. That's what Matthew expects out of relationship from other people. That's Matthew. And Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up in Matthew's life and says, Hey, Matthew. How's it going? Matthew, how's your day been? Matthew, I'm glad you're here. Matthew, I... I care about you, Matthew. I'm, I'm glad that we're in relationship and we have a friendship, Matthew. Matthew, you matter to me. And so in a world that said, Matthew, you, you are to be avoided. Matthew, you are to be an outcast. Matthew, you, you don't matter to people only in so much as we want to avoid you. Jesus shows up and says, you matter to me, Matthew. So once again, we begin to see more and understand more of who God is. Because remember, this is who God is. He is the person of Jesus Christ. And in the, the story, in the God story of Matthew's life experience, we begin to see and understand and know that God cares about people. More stories. Mary of Bethany. He treated me, a woman. With respect in that day and age in that culture radical he cherished me he respected me he valued me or blind Bartimaeus blind guy handicapped can't do life the way that most people can begging on the street and yet even though he could not see the world God saw him, took notice of him, and came up close to him and healed him in the person of Jesus Christ. Zacchaeus. A wee little man was he. You guys know that story? Zacchaeus climbs up in a tree trying to get a glimpse of who this God-man is, who this Jesus is. And in the process, Jesus invites, him, invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house. And, and they have conversation, and there's so much life change in such a small amount of time for Zacchaeus that he, he, he gets a chance to change who he was, and what he's been living like. And he says, wow, I'm going to be radically generous. I'm going to give to the poor. I'm going to love people and cherish people. Jesus, because you showed up in my life, I am different now. You gave me a chance to change, like in a way that I never thought was even possible. Or maybe Martha. Do you know the stories of the sisters Mary and Martha? Story in the Bible, Mary and Martha, their sisters, and unfortunately, their their brother Lazarus dies, dies, gets sick, dies, as in dead in the ground, buried. Jesus shows up, says, Martha, Mary, death is not the end. I am the resurrection. I am the life. And there is life yet to be had and explored for you. And for your brother Lazarus. So Lazarus, come on out, man. we got work to do. And Lazarus is risen from the dead. And so the question now becomes, when we begin to examine the stories and the knowledge of Christ, when we begin to see and look at and know Jesus and begin to look at the Scriptures and look at the stories in this own room, this very room has stories of how Christ has become active in our lives. If that's why we tell God's stories all the time around here, because we're sharing what Jesus has done in our lives. So w- what word do we use to describe this? I mean, what, what, right, if we got to boil all this down, if there is the possibility of all these different descriptors, we narrowed it down to the person of Jesus, but even in the person of Jesus, you have all of these actions in activity of love. What word captures love in action, manifesting itself in such a wide and splendid, varied way? What word can we use that takes into account the varied and diverse expressions of God's activity in people's lives? There is one word that we can use that tries to capture the spectrum of stories. If you had to guess what word that would be, you would all say, very good. In Greek, it is eleos, mercy. Mercy. Mercy, as a word, is Love being acted out, made manifest. It is not just simply love as sort of an affectionate feeling. Oh, I love that painting. Oh, I love this. I love that. Oh, I love this TV show. No, 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 no. It is more than that. Mercy is, is, is something significantly more than that. It is love acted love in action made tangible made real incarnate love made so you can feel it in the same way that god made himself tangible so you could feel him and so we can describe Christ as merciful as he does all of these actions in all of these other people's lives. And as a result, we can now describe God as merciful, a God of mercy. As we step into and as we lean into this understanding, as we seek to explore this more, If this is new to you, if you're you're unsure about all this, if you are still so shaped by other voices or other life experiences that you're like, man, I don't know yet, I beg you, I encourage you, please get in an Easter group. Because when you begin to surround yourself with other Christians, when you begin to surround yourself with others who have other life experiences, they'll begin to share how God's love, God's mercy was made real in their life. And that will then inform and shape your lens And it'll help you see maybe that God has been at work in your life all along. Sometimes it's just so hard to see because we get so much crud from all the other previous experiences of our lives covering our lens. You've got to scrape all that stuff off. And so other Christians, if you're in an Easter group, you better be sharing your God stories. That's why we talk about God stories all the time around here. It points to how God's love in action has been taking place in people's lives. And it reminds us God is merciful reminds us that God is active in his love for each one of us. So please, if this is new to you, start asking people about what God's done in their life. If this is old hat, if you already know all this, if this is like, man, should have skipped this one, don't worry. Over the next couple weeks, we are also going to be leaning into how we then therefore respond because God's love God's mercy is made real and manifests itself in and through his people, through you. That's how God loves people. God loves people through people. God forgives people through people. God encourages and strengthens people through people. This is why Christ will say one day to some of you, thank you for bringing me a cold cup of water. And you will look at him and say, what are you talking about? When did I bring you something to drink? And he will say, remember that hot day out in the sun where you mercifully brought a cup of water to someone thirsty? Or you shared your bread and meal with someone who was hungry? Or you visited someone who was sick and hurting and you held their hand in the hospital room as they walked into eternity? That was me in and through you. It was my mercy made real. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And so I encourage you to lean into this. Lean into what it means to be merciful. Because the more we begin to know and understand and display mercy ourselves, the more we will begin to see and understand the mercy that awaits us in a glorious day yet coming. That said, let's conclude with a word of prayer and invite that mercy into our lives over the next five weeks. Please pray with me. Gracious God, we give you thanks. Holy Spirit, we give you thanks. Merciful Christ, we give you thanks. That you, according to your grace and your kindness and your love, according to your mercy, you would be active in our lives and in our world, loving us. Thank you for the many ways you have expressed love through your disciples, through the stories of Scripture, and the stories in this room. Give us the courage to lean into your mercy and be vehicles of that mercy out into this world. Strengthen our steps as we journey to Easter in this Lenten time that we might know and manifest your mercy in this world. We ask this according to the merciful name of Christ. Amen.